three yes yes i do well they had arnold schwarzenegger obviously and they used makeup they used special lighting to make him look a little bit younger than what he really was to portray his character in part one and part two sure do you have to get frozen you're frozen you're frozen you're frozen you're frozen your feed your feed yes you're frozen too Ah, there you are so yeah they brought him back in part three as as himself right yes um they used makeup and all that shit to make him look younger than what he really was. And then at some point in the movie, they they brought back the what he originally looked like in part one, but they used CGI. And you could tell it was CGI, and it looked just it, – it's you could tell it's CGI. It they, looks bad in a real in, environment. They did this in part three? Yes. Like towards the, the, the very end of the film. Rise of the Machines? Yes. Are you sure you're not thinking of Terminator Salvation where they brought back digital Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is Maybe it was. Digital naked Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in, the, uh, in the compound? Yes. Maybe it was that one. But, I mean, because it is possible you're, you're – I mean, because they definitely did it in the one I just described. But I, there could just be a blank spot in my head with the thing that you're describing because I'm searching, you know, ticking through the, uh, the roller, roller bank – Rolodex, the roller bank. The bank of – You know what my opinion my is? What's that? After, like – okay, they did, they did the Terminator – and of course, now we're getting like we're we're getting off track again. Obviously, like we always do on the show. We're getting number um, six. Yes, uh, <laughs> they did part one, which was great, right? They did part two, which explained you know where Skynet came from, the creator and all that shit. They well, did part three, where they showed how the the rise of the machines happened and all that. I think honestly, yeah, they should have left it alone after part three. Interesting. So you don't think they should because, have gone back in time and uh, – well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, because you know you, you know me better than most people. You know me for like 10 years and you, you know my obsession with you know franchises and how either like they can you know either be good or bad mm-hmm. and how my obsession is that just one movie in a franchise can just completely ruin the whole fucking franchise. We, we've talked about this like numerous times, both on air, off air, and to me, they like take for example the um, the uh, Hellraiser franchise, right? Oh yeah. Okay, and, and of course, audience, we're get, we're getting completely off topic here, but we're talking about franchises. I think we um, actually we yeah. were talking about CSI or uh, CGI. Yeah, CSI because we're the CSI <clears throat> team. 
we're going to like hunt you down and track you down through technology. Um, well, Frank, apparently his techie was a recce. Well, Frank, that was the worst thing I've ever said. Sorry. Right. So the Hellraiser franchise, okay, they had part one, right, which basically was was good, you know. Um, You had part two, you had part three. Part three was phenomenal, I thought, Hellraiser franchise again, in case people lost track. That was Um, funny. Then they had the Hellraiser 4, which is basically the Bloodlines, which explains where the box came from, how it became relevant to the to the movie, like, you know, with the toy, the toy maker and all that shit. Mm-hmm. I think Lamar. after that, they should have just left it alone because they killed it. I, I think – was Hellraiser Bloodline not a um, an Alan Smithy film? Yeah, it was, I think, yeah. Okay. Well, you know about Alan Smith, But it, Smithy, it explains right? the origins of the box, like how the box becomes relevant to the movie. Like, because if you look at the puzzle box, like, how does this puzzle box become, like, you know, the, the gateway to hell or, you know, other worlds and right. whatnot? And part four, Bloodlines, explains all that. So right, right. once they reached part four and they were still strong, they should have just left it alone. Lamarchon. Lamarchon's box, yeah. Um, I have it. Oh, yeah. Did you do? You have a you have a Lamarchon's box? Mm-hmm. Well. By the way. Year, uh, about a year ago on Amazon, right? Sure. Now, keep in mind, I wanted to find a perfect uh, puzzle box, right? A perfect puzzle box? Yeah, like the Hellraiser box. Um. So I was, like, visiting different sites, and every site was good as far as, like, their recreation of it, but it wasn't functional, right? Okay. So I was on Amazon, and I I plugged the replica in or, you know, the replica puzzle box, and it was quite a lot of money, right? Again, wasn't functional. So I I came across (laughs) – Wait. Sorry, not to interrupt, but when you say not functionally, you mean didn't actually open a portal to hell? Exactly. Okay. Not only was it – it didn't open a portal to hell. It was basically just a box oh, okay. okay. made out of wood with like lamination on it basically. So, so it's just it – It not only didn't work. It, like it's basically right. like like a sticker or a decal had been on it or something. Exactly. It's not carved. It didn't open up any it gates to hell. It doesn't move and the pieces don't move. It doesn't slide like a, like a puzzle box would. Right. Okay. So – I finally came across uh, somebody's brilliant idea of taking an Rubik's Cube and putting it to the Hellraiser box. And I just had to have it because it was reasonably priced. And I'm like, this is fucking phenomenal. So Steph actually got it for me for Christmas, and I fucking love it. I mean, it's not like a full-scale replica box that, you know, as far as, like, dimensions are concerned, but somebody took a very brilliant, unique idea of taking in a Rubik's cube and taking the puzzle box and putting it together. So now it's a fully functional Hellraiser box slash a Rubik's cube. That's interesting. So what you're telling me is that if you, it's basically, it's, is it the size of a Rubik's cube? I think, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like a Rubik's cube, but instead of having like colors on its face, it's got like the, the, the triangles and the doodads and the half circles that make what the Lamant the configuration actually looks like on its outside. Yes. But it still functions as a Rubik's cube. So you could theoretically, Correct. you could theoretically screw it up into, into to where it's like, oh, Endless crap, how do, I, how do I get it back to where it was essentially? Exactly. Okay. That's interesting. Which 
if that really did open the gates to hell, right? Right. You'd be fucked if you can't get it back to the original configuration. It's true. You know, and speaking of Rubik's Cubes, uh, we just rewatched uh, in celebration of Cinco de Mayo. Okay. Uh, we just uh, re watched um, Hellboy. Oh, nice, nice. I love that movie. Which I hear there, I uh, just saw on Twitter today, today being, well, it's now March, sorry, March, it's May 9th, uh, I believe they are rebooting Hellboy. Nice. Well, you know what's really cool about the, the um, and I always forget his name, I don't know why, because he's been like a, a main part of my life as far as like entertainment, but the guy that played Hellboy, right? Ron Perlman? Yes. Yeah. He was actually in the live action Beauty and the Beast back in the 80s or 90s where he played the uh, underneath the sewer like, you know, with uh, Linda Hamilton. With Linda Hamilton from the Terminator films. Yes. So false. And I, I, I don't have the, the DV. Uh, I, I used to watch it as a kid. I, I got the VHS tapes um, of a couple of them. And I really, really appreciate like their spin because they basically took a concept, Beauty and the Beast, right? And they put it to like a different perspective. Like obviously you have Belle, okay? You have like the Beast. They're like in a castle and, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere and she falls in love with him. And the whole idea is to turn him back into human, blah, 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 blah right? Mm -hmm. And this adaptation of it was she wasn't Belle. I forget her name in the, in the, in the TV series, but you have the beast who is Vincent and he was the beast and he was in the sewer with a bunch of other people underneath New York. And it was a complete, it was a, it was a unique experience. And that's what I love. I like one of the biggest things that like thrills me is to take a, an old idea and put a different spin on it. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a unique experience. Like sometimes that can go either bad or good. And sometimes, like, you, you could take, like, an idea that somebody else had, hmm. turn it around, and make it original again, and make it new, you know, uh, and like that. So that, that I love that TV show. That's so it was, it was completely uh, innovative, I, I think. Uh, it's interesting, yeah, because also Beauty and the Beast, I believe the story, I think it's in the public domain. I think it's old enough to where it's like, so. Doesn't it go back to, like, the... Go back to like the '60s or earlier than that. The 1960s or the 1860s? Yeah, uh, a little. Uh, I remember like a, a black and white version of that film. Yeah, Jean. I believe it's Jean, Cock Jean Cocteau's film, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I might have. I might have. Uh, and I'm saying '60s. I don't fucking know, but yeah, Jean Cocteau did Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and that was in 1946. Uh, mm, mm. With recently, okay, but so that was like well off by a couple of decades. But, but that's yeah, there's that. But let's see. So the um, more, but even back then, like I've seen clips of like the 1940s version of that, and I should have known better because even like during the 60s, oh. you know, there was like colored movies, obviously. So back even back then, like I've seen clips and I've seen pictures of that original Beauty and the Beast movie. And even the makeup, like, all the way back then was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, it's French cinema. So so the original story, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, the fairy tale that the Beauty and the, Beauty and the Beast is based on, goes back to um, La Belle et la Bête is a traditional fairy tale written by French novelist Gabriel Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. Nice. Published in 1740. 
Oh, that that long ago, huh? Yeah. So it's you know you, anybody can anybody can do a version of Beauty and the Beast now if they want, you know, and and not be. Well, I mean, you know, theoretically, well, it, it's not an American thing, so the international copyright laws might be different, but it, I think it's generally considered to be in the public domain. Well, it, it goes back to my original comment about – or statement really about being like original, right? Now take like for example vampirism, right? Yes. Obviously vampires have been in our culture, not just American culture but Europe's culture throughout time basically. And I don't really know how long ago but let's take – let's take Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Sure. OK. Yeah. Basically, here you have a writer who took a real-life person who is Vlad the Impaler and basically turned him into the Vampire of Darkness or the, the, the first Lord of the Vampires, whatever, Dracula, Draculia, right? Yeah. So that was an original idea. And Rice's idea was the fact that vampires first originated in, in uh, Egypt. So both ideas are pretty good, I think. Vampires in Egypt? Yeah, like her idea was Anne Rice. The, Anne Rice. Her oh, yeah. idea was that was that the um, the queen and the pharaoh they conjured an evil spirit that turned them into vampires, basically. Yeah. Akasha and Enkel. Yes, I've read these books. <laughs> well, I've read. So did I. I've read I have them on the them. shelf. No, I'm sorry. I've read. I've read six of them. I've read. Uh, I've read up to and including the Vampire Armand, and I haven't read past that, but I enjoyed those books. I got them all on the shelf, brother. What comes after? Well, we can talk about this later. Sorry. So anyway, so there, yes, Egyptian. The idea of the the origin of the vampire, putting him there. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting take on the uh, on the the mythology, which goes back the, pretty yeah, far. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Like I have the original Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula book, and I do somewhere. I love the the whole mythology behind how uh, Bram Stoker puts Dracula, but it's it's nice. To, to look at it in a different perspective and Anne Rice I think totally just made it allure of, you know, uh, alluring attractive and sexy but here's the problem with Anne Rice okay mm, okay the problem even with though Anne it was Rice. an original concept yeah. um, she's a little bit of a dry writer and too 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 much detail before you get to the exciting parts of it so if you can get past to like the the dry shit the story and yeah see he knows what i'm talking about well no the, i'm uh, not reading i'm laughing i'm uh, it's an interesting observation i, I, I go ahead. well i mean she is dude like i i love her i love her 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 vampire chronicles like i'll reread them again like i've i've read them a couple of times like the whole series throughout my life yeah. um and i, was, I haven't read what haven't i read yet I would, um, I would say she's blessed with the power of description. Maybe you can help me with the title. This was the only one I haven't read fully yet. Hold on, where is it? Ud Nanglis. Oh, uh, Blood Canticle. Yes, that was the only one in the series I have not finished yet. I'm actually on page 41, and I've read, I have all the other ones I read, but my problem is, is that it's interesting. I love the vampire Lestat. It's just the fact that she's a little bit too dry to begin with. Like you have to get, you have to get rid of, you have to go through the dryness to get to the exciting parts. So she's a little bit too dry. Where you read Stephen King, and the shit just starts from like fucking page three. You know what I mean? That's so there's a difference yeah. between the writers. Well, you know, that's interesting. I. I uh 
it, it's also interesting how writers see other writers' um, works. Like Stephen King has been uh, said so. I can't remember this stuff anymore, but he said some nice stuff about Clive Barker's writing. But it was uh, it was essentially how I think it was quoted as saying that he likened what uh, what he did. Stephen King likened his own work to pulp, whereas uh, uh, Clive Barker's stuff was more like literature. Yeah, see, Clive Barker is is I dude, I fucking love. But people can Clive probably Barker consider because, some of that dry, dry as well, even though it's really vivid. A lot of the things he describes. Oh yeah, like like well, Clive Barker is a little bit dry, but don't forget, like a lot of what he does is is dark erotica. Like you have to like really see like the dark eroticness even behind. Like let's say take a look at um at at uh, at um. Um, the Hellbound Heart, Hellraiser. Okay, yeah, the Hellbound Heart. Yeah. Yes. So take a look at Hellraiser. For oh yeah, example. there was there was sex in that, wasn't there? There was some. Heavy yes, sexual, there was. There was so some so kind take of. Take a look at like disturbing his writings. In that. Take a look at uh, Hellraiser. Take a look at um, the Nightbreed, which was a good movie, by the way, and a good story because I read it because I have the book. Oh well, yeah, um, the book is. Have you read the book? <laughs> Yes, I got it. And you've compared it to the film? Yes. Yeah, I can. The book yeah. is way better. Well, um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, I like the Depending movie on your taste. I, I, I like but, them both as separate things, personally. But go ahead. Yes. But there's a lot of dark eroticness in, in his writings, as well as the it's, movies. So it's, it's, it's like, okay, he, he might be a little dry in his writings, but yeah. when you transform the books into movies, it's it's definitely a dark erotica. It's, it's, it's definitely something that if you're like into pain and pleasure, he's definitely for you. There are some very – dark is like just you know tip, the tip of the spear. There's, there's some terrifying imagery. That he uh, puts puts in his uh, in his stories that he describes quite well, and it's uh, and I want to go on for I want to go on record nightmarish okay? stuff. Yeah, yes, I want to go on record. Okay, okay, because this very well be because we recorded a, a, a and audience can hear this obviously between what we were doing earlier tonight as far as like getting on iTunes and recording at the same time, which was a brilliant fucking idea because Tyson had the, the the genius idea to actually record it on his end while I was talking away. Um, I did that in case we ended up on the phone with somebody that we were have to consult with. So we could, you know, if they said something specific then I could go back and listen and go, okay, that's what they said to do in case that became a thing. So I wanted to, you know, that was a safeguard essentially. Brilliant idea. But we wound up doing a show at the same time, so or an episode at the same time. So, if this happens to be on iTunes, I want to go on the record by saying that Uncle Frank from fucking Hellraiser is a fucking douchebag. Yeah, Uncle Frank. Uh, really, Come to Daddy. Really, messed, come to Uncle Frank. Yeah, missed some, messed some shit up. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Uncle Frank is a type of asshole. Where if he was your brother, you wouldn't want to leave your house to go to work because he might come fuck your wife. And then he might convince your wife to kill you later. Well, it's interesting because it's a character that, like, um, is introduced as a victim. And then as the story goes on, you you realize, oh, no, he is actually a horrendous piece of shit. So we should have, exactly. we should have cheered yeah, when we saw what happened to him in the beginning of the film. But they, you know, it's the way stuff gets manipulated. You, when you see things and you you see a tragedy occur or something, 
you not knowing anything about a person will, like, I don't know very many people who will go, yeah, well, he probably deserved whatever that was. Unless it's, you know, there's probably some extraordinarily religious people who are like, you know, who believe in demons. So, like, they, when they see that he's messing around with the occult, then he's just being set up for something that they understand is a very clear system of action versus <laughs> consequence, right, exactly. consequence uh, that, for action. No, that's that's an accurate description because in, in, in the... But that's based on a... Yes, go ahead, sorry. Oh, you're, you're, you're frozen. Film. You're frozen. E- you're frozen again. You're frozen. You're frozen. There you go. You're back. Right. Okay, I'm back. So, no, your 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 description is out. Your analogy of it is absolutely right. In the beginning of the movie, like you think he's a victim because he gets torn apart by this box and shit like that, and then later on in the film, you find out that he is a gross piece of shit. And if you watch part two, where he summons his own niece to hell so they can have sex with her, he's a deplorable scumbag who absolutely fucking deserves everything that he got. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty dark movie it's a it's got a there's a special effect that's in it that I just saw basically I saw something that was evocative of it in a movie that I was just like oh that's kind of like what Hellraiser was I just can't remember what it it was basically something disintegrating in reverse if you know what I'm saying so like I do I saw a movie where there was something disintegrating in reverse and it made me think of there's a, a, a particular scene in Hellraiser that is kind of like that uh, it's a great effect it's really cool looking I mean considering how uh, you know technically essentially low tech it, it uh, was in spots it was very effective and I love practical makeup and, and camera effects and you know like if you ever see Bram Stoker's Sorry, if you see Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, most see, I lo- dude, most of the effects I remember, in that film were in camera, except for the CG at the end. I remember um, because I love I love vampires. Basically, that's you know I, I gave up vampires. Year, and let me explain how this happened. Okay. Okay. Um, I've always well, podcasting for me has been like a new thing for the past couple of years. Obviously, thanks to Tyson. Um, my other passion is writing, basically, right? Okay. So, um, growing up, not my adult years, let's talk about my my kid years. Okay. Teenage years, whatever. So, that was pretty much dedicated to vampires. Like, I loved the whole, and I still do, basically, to, to this day, but more zombies now in my adult life than, than vampires. I love the mythology of vampires. It is completely uh, uh, fast. Deep. Frozen, 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 frozen. Dracula in the frozen. movie theaters when Keanu Reeves was in it. I got the DVD, and... That was a pretty good ad, you know adaptation. Like most people, like that that fucking sucks. Like that asshole was in it. Fucking you know, whatever her name was was in it. It sucked. No, I loved it. It was a good ad- adaptation of it. I have it on Blu-ray. The original story was fucking good too. So yeah, to me it was a, a good fucking movie. It was like, and uh, oh, you know what? What else was a good adaptation of that? Really, honestly, was um, Frank Langella. His adaptation of Dracula was fucking phenomenal. Like, the movie was phenomenal. I have not seen that one yet. Dude, let me tell you something. That originated, to give you a brief history about that, I used to have that on DVD. I wish I still did, but... Hmm. That started off where Frank Langella started off doing that as a play. It was a play. He was an actor on stage, and he was doing that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And 
when they decided to turn that into a movie, he basically said, once this movie's completed, I'm, I'm going to hang up this cape. I'm never going to reprise that role again because I don't want people to think of me as Dracula and I can't get another role in life, period. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, when he did that movie, he was like, he wanted to show, like, he was like a, a romantic lonely creature not with the fangs because that's the only adaptation of it that you'll see of dracula where he doesn't have fangs and blood dripping down and everything else he wanted to show a very lonely very romantic like my heart's broken you know i'm I'm lost in love and blah 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 version of dracula and when that movie came out it came out right at the time of like like let's say Lost Boys and shit like that. Which movie came out? Around? Maybe a little bit earlier than Lost Boys, but definitely right around the time when Vampires was like violent and I have the fangs and I'm gonna like suck your blood and all that shit. So it didn't work at the time. Which which film are you talking about now that came out at the same? You're saying came out at the same time as Lost Boys? I basically said Franklin Jello's Dracula, but okay. I. I, I got the time frame wrong because that came out before Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. Well, um, at least 10 years. Exactly. Well, yeah, they're both 80s. Are they? I think Frank Langella's Dracula was in the in the. Like, it might have been 78. 70s, but, yeah, I think I think it's closer to 78. Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll find out. Go ahead. Yeah, look it up. Look that up and let me know what you find. All right. Sounds, All right. Sounds good. Oh, holy crap. There's also a 1958 one that is in Technicolor. It's a British horror film directed by Terence Fisher, written by Jimmy Singster, and it uh, stars Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Michael Goh, and Melissa Stribling. Melissa Stribling. Gonna control F on the Dracula. Okay, so what'd you find? I found a link. And okay. Because <laughs> you would think it would just be listed right next to it, but now I've got the link to actual Frank Langella's page to find it, so I'm doing that now. And 79... Okay. 1979. Uh, okay, so it came out in 1979. So my question is, yes. obviously it was a whole, almost a whole decade between uh, that and obviously Last Boy. So what, what yeah. vampire movie? Because I remember in an interview, Franklin Jealous did say that another vampire movie did come out while that was in theater. So what other movie was out during that time? Oh, it was probably Love at First Bite or something like that. If it was a Drac, are you talking about a Frankenstein? I'm oh, sorry, Frank. Are you talking about another vampire movie that came out at that time, or just anything that was in the theater in 1979? No, no. Basically, when that movie that movie originated as a play, right? Dracula. Franklin Jello's adaptation of Dracula came out as a play. Oh, that is a it great. It then question. became a uh, it, it became a movie, but what he was trying to say was it didn't do so well in the box offices because he didn't have the fangs. He didn't have the blood and all that shit. And there was another vampire movie that came out that did was, which the, it was, it's competition. So what I'm trying to figure out was what movie came out during that time was its competition. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because years later it, it, it did have a cult following. Okay. Well, let's see. Its release date was the 13th of July, 1979. So let's see what was out in film around that time period. Uh, okay, so let's see here. 13th. It did double its budget, um, but it didn't quite triple it, so it came in short of that. Okay, so let's see. There was a, I mean, I'm surprised because if you really think about it, there was there was a couple of strong actors in that in that movie. Um, like Donald Pleasance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to have to see it. So let's see here. Um, well, so 
you haven't seen it yet, right? Um, is what you're saying. The 1979 Frank Langella Dracula, I have not. I have seen the Bela okay. Lugosi one, and I haven't I haven't seen the Christopher Lee one yet either. I mean, there's, there's a big gap in my film watching. Uh, uh, well, what I can tell you is, when you watch uh, Bela Lugosi, when you watch Christopher Lee, when you watch the Keanu Reeves version of Dracula, right? It's all basically the same. Now watch Frank Langella's version of it, and it's completely different. Like, the concept is there. As far as, like, Dracula, he's coming to, you know, he's coming from Transylvania to uh, to England. About to say New England. Um, <laughs> um, there's definitely notable differences between the original concept, the original story, as to oppose of Frank Langella's version of it. And that's where the uniqueness comes in. And that's where I like it. I think like it was a very strong movie, and it does show a different side. Of, it, it almost makes you feel sorry for Dracula. It almost makes you feel like you know he's a fucking awesome guy, sort of. Okay. Um, so also around this time, are we going to count summertime for it, or just uh, just only in July? Because there's like there was three apparently. There's only <laughs> according to Wikipedia, it's 1979 film. There are only three uh-huh. three films released. In nineteen seventy, sorry, in July of nineteen seventy nine, but that is totally. Let's count all of them. Okay, well, uh, July. So in this order, uh, July mm-hmm. on July thirteenth, there was Dracula. Okay. On July twenty seventh, the Amityville Horror. Okay. That could have been one of it. Uh, and July twenty sixth, the movie which I have seen, Unidentified Flying Oddball. It's a Disney film. It's basically a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court remade into uh, a time traveling astronaut film. Ever see that one? Mm. I think of, anyway. So, and by the way, uh, just before Dracula, the week before June twenty seventh, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. The week mm-hmm. the week before that, June twenty sixth, Moonraker. So you know, a, you know, Bond goes to space. Uh, I want to say June fifteenth. Without watching, Sorry, without watching, and and I I used to have it on DVD, which included the um, the uh, interview with Franklin Jaw. Um. I'm, I, I want to say I'm like 50% sure he said it was a vampire movie that he was in competition with, but it, it might have been another horror movie. It might have been the Amityville Horror for all I know. Could have been. Uh, that was the next week. So um, it makes you wonder if like, oh, well, if you think about it, so like it's – I mean it's two weeks. So it would have to be – so like July 13th to July 27th, if there's literally only these films released, you know, wide release in America or whatever and to where these ones were mm-hmm. competing, that's – 14, that's that's a full two weeks. So that would mean that Dracula would be in the theater for two weeks and then perhaps be overshadowed by the Amityville Horror, which is completely possible because I believe the movie was was uh, pretty successful. I think it was. Could be wrong. Oh, it definitely was successful. Oh, holy dude, crap. Because oh, holy crap, was it successful. I just saw how much it was made for it, how much it made. But sorry, go ahead. How much? Well, guess. would you like to guess how much that was made for? <sighs> Let's see. How much was it? How, how much did they? Uh, all right. So you're talking about how much did it? Did it? How much did it cost to make it? <laughs> or how much did it went into to uh, to making it and then put out into the yeah. 1979, right? Yes, yes, sir. I want to say ten grand. Ten thousand dollars. Okay, no, I'm lifting my. All right. <laughs> Shut up, dude. Um, Sorry, is Charlie Chaplin in this movie? <laughs> Okay. 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 I'm sorry. Forty grand. Forty grand. No, it was made for four point seven million dollars. 
Really? Yeah, 1979. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, it made... So, audience, I just want to let you know that I am tired, and on my count, it is like 3.37 in the morning, so, and then plus, yeah, I was sorry. factoring in the fact that it was 1979. Well, you know, I mean, and I've seen the Amityville Horror. There is, I don't remember there being any if anything that couldn't have been done practically on the set. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll have to look again. You know, there's there's sounds, there's makeup, there's black goo, there's glowing red eyes, but I don't think there was any transparent ghosts or anything. There, I don't think there was stop motion animation. I don't think there was anything expensive in it. So, so uh, you know, for ten thousand dollars, I wasn't this, that silly of a. I know, frozen. I'm just sort of waiting until until it comes back. Oh shit! It dropped out completely. Uh oh. It came back. So anyway, yes. Yeah, the long story short is, I it's not that unreasonable that it wasn't oh, there made go. for that much because I mean, Halloween was made for seventy-seven thousand dollars or something like that. Wrong. Or I don't know, seven hundred seventy. It was under a million, certainly. I think it was like seven. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so four point seven million dollars. Oh, uh, which is by the way, four point seven million dollars. So it's a little more than a third of what Dracula was made for, because Dracula and was made for twelve. I just want the audience to know. That I made Tyson completely lose his shit because I was watching him and he fucking just doubled over and fucking started dying from fucking what I just guessed. Because for the first time since we've been playing this guessing game about how much movies were made, I was completely like, like You surprised I, me. I, it might have been like. That's what it takes to get me laugh is to, to catch me off guard where I was, wasn't expecting what, what, you know, whatever I, answer I got. That's what does it. That's what makes me laugh. Yeah, but I was thinking like 1979. I was thinking, okay, it's it's the Amityville Horror, so maybe it could have been for ten grand. And like and like I was saying before, it froze. I mean, they heard it on my end, but I don't know if they heard it on your end. It was it was you know it was completely reasonable that most of the stuff they could have done was low tech. It was makeup. It was puppets. It was lights. It was not you know there was nothing. I don't think there was anything special effect wise that was especially challenging or expensive. It wasn't like Star Wars or something, you know. Exactly. Which had come out a couple of years before. So anyway, so that movie was $4.7 million to make. And uh, would you like to guess the box office on it? Uh, or, or um, just, just go ahead and tell me so I don't make you lose your shit. $86.4 million. Wow. Quite a bit more than triple its budget. Quite a bit more. Absolutely. Triple its budget wasn't even $15 million. Triple its budget was like uh, 12 plus. It doesn't matter. It was like 14. Yeah, not even comes in well under 15 so yeah if it had made 15 million dollars it would have been a ticker tape parade success maybe not but it was it would have and there was no cgsi in that pretty sure there wasn't any well frank actually you know what's pretty crazy about that about the there wasn't any the amityville horror sure yeah what was that the obviously there is really for anyone who doesn't know doesn't care whatever there there is an actual house in Amityville, it's it's the original address is 112 Ocean Avenue. If you want to go check it out in Amityville, they completely redid the outside so it's not recognizable anymore. But um, is that in Tom's River? I managed I managed to find it, and I was there at the actual house, and I was actually also um, the the movie house of this movie was uh, filmed in Tom's River, New Jersey. And I was actually at that house. That house went for half a million dollars being sold. Interesting. So was it very similar or did it just uh, – was it the right dimensions to put a facade up in the front to make it look more like the house that was on 112 Ocean Avenue? Um, no. The, the outside dimensions, like the, the original like windows and everything like that, 
was made to look like the original house. But if you if you look at the movie compared to the original landscape, right? Uh-huh. In the movie, you you see this house and you get like all this like property and you get like you know a seclusion and you get like a nice little dock outside for your boat and all that other shit, right? But if you go to the original house in Amityville, the houses are so close together that the landscape is completely different. So, as far as like the outside, like as far as like the house in in as far as it being similar, yeah, like both the houses are very similar, but it's the landscape that you need to pay attention to because the original house, the real house, their neighbors are like really close together. It's 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 almost like if you go into like a, a neighborhood where like there's or a community where there's houses that are built that are so close together. It's kind of like that. So the real house, you, you don't get much privacy from your neighbors on either side. But now if you look at the the movie version of it, you get all this fucking privacy, and it's that's not how it really is. So the 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 movie version was filmed in Tom's River, New Jersey. That's the house that went for like half a million or almost a million. I think it was a million dollars. Although the real house, the, the the real version of that house probably doesn't go for that much more. But the only difference is is that they the, the real house, they changed the outside of it, which I don't like the fact that they did because it kind of like took away from the mystique what made that house that house interesting i took pictures of it so in fact i I even stole a rock from the from the front yard i don't have it anymore but i stole a rock from it oh a rock from the landscaping yeah a rock from the original the real house i took a rock from the front yard okay to go in my fish tank neat yeah i wish i still had it but i mean the, the 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 point though is is like i mean the house itself has has a, a unique history, and it's part of our American culture, obviously. But you know, the fact that they changed the outside of it—I mean, you got to understand, like the, the the owners of this house, or you know, previous owners of this house, went through such great lengths to change the address, to change the look of the house, so that you can't just go there as a gawker and be like, "Oh my God." That's the Amityville house. <laughs> I'm going to take pictures of it. <laughs> no, they don't want you to do that. Yeah. And well, that's how did I find that house? Mm. A sweet little 16-year-old girl who just happened to point it out to me. Oh, that was nice of her. Absolutely. So, um, so check it out, right? Uh, despite being- And she doesn't realize that she just became famous, and I don't even know her name. But thank you. Okay. Whoever you are, little... 16 year old girl is probably like in her 20s or 30s by now thank you very much for my you know experience to, to add to my childhood as a paranormal investigator yes thank you to you thank you to you wherever you are exactly well she'll probably still would be in amityville if she's still there so check it out it said despite being a critical failure the amityville the amityville horror was a commercial success it was one of the most successful films produced by an independent studio at that time and the most profitable aip or american international pictures release since the born losers in 1968 <laughs> okay frozen 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 
Frozusama, Frozuzaburg, Frozen Yogurt. We're back. Hello, we're back. Yes, we're back. Okay. The film grossed a total of $86,432,520 at the United States box office and was the second highest grossing film of 1979 in the U.S. alone. The, by the way, The Born Losers was the first in the Billy Jack series of films. Uh, okay, so real quick, earlier I found the information you were asking about. Uh, this is in regards to Dracula, the, the Frank Langella Dracula. So check it out. Okay. Yo, peep this. In 1979, at least three Dracula films were released around the world. These weren't listed on okay. page. This, these weren't listed on that page I was looking at. So check it out. German director Werner Herzog's retelling of Nosferatu the Vampire, which I've seen stills of with, with the what's his face, Akiyue uh, Rathgadu, Klaus Kinski. With Klaus Kinski is Nosferatu, creepy looking in the makeup, like, like uh, anyway. So sorry. So there was that. This film, this film, referring to Nosferatu the Vampire. And the comedy, Love at First Bite, which is the one I said, George Hamilton movie. Uh, yes, you did. The success of the jokey Love at First Bite starring George Hamilton may have had something to do with the muted response this version, as in the Frank Langella one, would subsequently, would subsequently experience. The film performed modestly at the box office, grossing $20,158,970 domestically, and this was seen as something of a disappointment by the studio. However, well, don't forget, dude. Roger Ebert right. liked it. He gave it three and a half out of four stars. So, I mean, you know, Roger Ebert's uh, tough to impress at times. Or it was tough to impress at times. Don't forget, like, we're talking about 1979, right? Yes. Okay. So you have Love at First Bite, right? Right. And you have Franklin Jella's Dracula. Now, let me re-innovate this to the, to the audience real quick. Franklin Jella's version of Dracula did have... Some kind of violence in it, not very much. You have a Dracula who had no fangs, kind of like Twilight, right? They because don't, they don't have fangs in Twilight. His version of Dracula was basically revolu- uh, revolutionized because basically we came to Twilight where it was like this romantic thing where like they sparkled and they had no fangs and it was like cool uh, to be a vampire. Wait, and right, wait, wait, real quick though, they don't need fangs when they can pull your head the fuck off. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So you had, you. Had... Yeah, I, I, I've seen these movies. I, I, I've seen. Well, I mean, other they pull each other's heads off. Holy crap! Right. So you, you, you basically had Franklin Jella's adaptation of Dracula, which, to me, right, they could pull your fucking head off. Right. Goodbye. Like you know, slam dunk. Michael Jordan vampire. Right. Count Count Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's a visual. That on the, it's a podcast. I was twirling an imaginary head on my finger as though it were a basketball. Right for the listeners so, at home. So you have Frank Langella's 1979 version of Dracula. Mind you, here's a guy who done this on stage like every night probably for the longest time who convinced himself that he was never doing it again and they convinced him to do it as a movie and at this point in time he's like this is the last time i'm ever going to do this because if i continue to do this i will never be looked at as a serious actor again just as dracula so his intentions his vision was good but it came at a time 1979, mind you, it came at a time when people's horror tastes started to change. Like, they wanted more violence. They wanted more blood. 
they wanted to to look at things at a different – it was like a revolution basically because we're looking at 1979. We're going into 1980, really the dawn of the slasher movie. And don't forget, 1979 or 1978 – I'm sure Tyson will correct me. 1978 was when Halloween came around. We're talking about the guy with you know Michael Myers who fucking slashed babysitters and shit like that. So it came at the wrong time basically. Am I right? Right that it came at the wrong time. Well, yeah, I mean, basically his his adaptation for something that was like what he his vision basically, which is is phenomenal. Like his unique vision of of uh, Dracula came at a wrong time. Like he tried to display that at the time when people has their tastes have changed. Like in well, horror movies, basically. Well, yes, yeah, certainly. Because when did when did was, Halloween come out? Halloween like did, the first Halloween. It was nineteen seventy-eight. Halloween had come out the year before, and that's the one that I was trying to think of how much its budget was. Its budget was three hundred to three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. And it, exactly, and so it made here you have seventy so million. So it was lower, right? Like significantly, right? Lower than uh, oh, well, lower than. Than which the Amityville Horror, or well, both lower lower than both of those. Yeah, the, Amity, the most expensive one was the 1979 Dracula. That one was made for 12.1 million dollars. Okay, so here you have an extremely low budgeted film, which is Halloween, right? Yeah, absolutely. And oh yeah. They showed people getting strangled. They showed people getting stabbed. I mean, exactly. That was 1978. Was like the the dawn of the slasher movies. Basically, like that's when like no hold bars. We're not going to hold anything back. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want to do. And in, in, as far as like movies are concerned, kill, right? Kill, 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 kill. Yeah. Sorry, I was just doing the, exactly. the Voorhees thing. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Too. And uh, of course, of course, you got Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. So. You have these very two like thank you for that. So and I'm from Jersey and that's where Friday the uh, Friday the Thirteenth came from. So you have very two distinct horror movies, very two distinct movies that will eventually that, that will born bo- uh, that will born a fucking franchise. And here you have Franklin Jella who wants to come with his Dracula version as a romantic. It's really no wonder why the time it came out. That it wasn't well received because at that time people's tastes have changed. Here you have, you know, the the guy in the the Halloween mask that goes around stalking the babysitter, killing people. Here you have uh, Jason's mom going around fucking slicing people's throats and shit like that. So mm. it's it's his movie was. Uh, I, I like his concept. I like where he was coming from, but it, it, it came at a wrong time. I see what you're saying. So, I mean, it might be that people were just uh, bored of the vampire thing, or if they, if they have three choices, and it's like, I mean, if you have your choice of you got something that's a, uh, obviously you know creepy looking and probably great remake of you know a classic creepy vampire, and then it goes mm-hmm. up against. Uh, a jokey romantic comedy vampire and it's like you know those are so extreme and then you've got something that's basically a serious romantic kind of or something or it's a serious film and it's it's also a vampire film so it's neither tilting far into the Nosferatu vein of creepiness nor is it all the way to the silly edge of you know comedy it seems like perhaps the most neutral one of the three if you've not seen any of them which I haven't, by the way. I've not seen any of these, and out of the three of them, the middle, the, the Frank Langella one sounds the most 
it sounds on paper, I'm saying. I'm sure it's a great movie and I do want to see it, but it sounds the most kind of like the least extreme of the three. It's not. It's not a. Oh, it it, it sounds like just a good, like a just sounds like a film, like a good film. That's well, it says it's a horror film. It's a British American horror film, and but so is it? Is it? Does it have romance in it? Am I, is that is that right? Oh, it definitely, dude. It definitely does. It, it it it. But it's a serious movie. It's a serious movie that was supposed to. It, it oh does God. have its. It's got Lawrence Olivier it, in it. Yes, and Donald it does Lawrence have its romantic. It does have its romantic uh, uh, moments in it, where it's supposed to show Dracula as a uh, lonely creature who just wants love. To a very, it does have its like horror elements, right? Sure. Okay. So it has a combination of both, but the problem is that at a time when people are starting to change their taste where they want more extreme horror it just it 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 fails to live up to that you know what i'm saying so it, it does have a combination of both where it's it's romantic yet it has that moment and it has like it's like oh my god i'm i'm kind of scared a little bit you know kind of moment to where you know it's 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 a brilliant film but it it's really was in the wrong type because don't forget when this movie came out it wasn't a, a huge box office it wasn't almost like the 80s 90s 2000s to where this movie had a cult following you know what i mean like it, and it's it's almost i mean you can go to like any you can go to suncoast and find it nowadays but it at the time again you're, you're putting up against love at first bite you're putting it up against you know Friday the Thirteenth. You're putting up. You're putting it up against Halloween, um, Amityville Horror. So I mean, it, as far as like horror, it failed. But as far as like a serious film, kind of like a little bit, a little bit of romantic, a different light on Dracula, then it was a success. Right, and it's just you know, it, there's. It's not like people didn't go to see this movie. It's just there's choice and uh, frozen, 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 frozen. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, so like I was, it's not like people didn't see this movie. They, 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 they did go to see it. They, you know, thirty-six million dollars worth of people went to see, went to see, uh, or paid to watch the Frank Langella uh, Dracula film. People watched it. You know, it did get it did get viewed. It uh, just apparently got viewed a lot less than. And these are the movies. And actually, I'm, now I'm curious to see the, the one that I haven't even looked. Okay, so Nosferatu the Vampire and Love at First Bite. So Werner Herzog's 1979 art house vampire film, Nosferatu the Vampire. Uh, okay, well, it also underperformed. It was made for DEM, what is it, Deutschmarks? Yes, okay, it was made for 2.5 million Deutschmarks. Oh, that's just its budget. Okay, it was made for 1.4 million American dollars. It does not say what its box office was or how much it brought in. So I'd probably have to check box office mojo for that, or maybe there's just no record of it. So there's that. So, again, that wasn't made for very much money either, by the way. that was That's $1.4 million is still well less than, you know, that's like a tenth still of what of the 1979 Dracula made, or was made for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love at First Bite as a comedy. Was made for three million dollars. Oh my God! And it made forty nine point three million. So people were really going to see the funny Dracula movie, 
over their other choices. That's the one. That, that's the one so, that, that they really wanted, apparently. So basically, it kind of fulfilled to me uh, that role that Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein kind of fills, where it's like put the comedy with the horror, and you know, and take something. You know what I mean? At some role. So basically, Love at First Bite was supposed to be a horror comedy. It's a. It is a horror comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So that people wanted to see over Franklin Jell's Dracula. That's that's what it's appeared to happen. That must be the one that he was referring to, or I mean, he was the one he was referring to. But it must be this. There must be something to. I mean, it was it. It it, it's, it came out and it was April thirteenth, nineteen seventy nine. It says. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why it didn't show up around the uh, the June one. So that's probably why. So it, it, they were released in the same year, certainly. Um, Nosferatu was released. In, in 17th of January, 1979, so well at the beginning of the year. So year in, oh wait, in France. Okay, no, the, okay, so 5th of October, 1979. So it didn't come out until October. It came out late in 1979, so it certainly would have been more, Love at First Bite was was just April, May, June, just a couple months. So it was a couple months have gone by, there's a funny Dracula film, uh, and then, you know, and then, or a funny vampire film, and then... 79's Dracula coming out on the 13th of July and and it looks like just not as many people went to see it. It was Universal Pictures uh, you know it, it, it had music by John Williams it was directed by John Badham who at that who had made I think some notable films up to that point uh, I'll have to check real quick because I'm probably oh well yeah it was the director of Saturday Night Fever you know this, that was, but yet, Saturday Night Fever is one of the most profitable films of its time, I think. It was, Saturday Night Fever was a huge hit. And, and oh, yeah. Do you know how much Saturday Night Fever was made for in 1977? What? $3.5 million. Would you like to know how much it made, sir? How much? $237.1 million. Wow. So this guy was coming off of a huge success, made this Dracula movie that just went, that didn't do as well, I should say. It didn't quite. Exactly. So, but it so, certainly made at least, it doubled its money. It almost tripled it. It almost tripled it. So, so basically people would have referred to, to watch Love at First Bite than Dracula, basically. Let's just say all the money that Saturday Night Fever made at the end of the 70s paid for half of the cocaine in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> in, I believe it. Or in 1980 itself. No, I mean it didn't really, but that's you know I'm being glad. Well, I mean that's a that's I mean I unfortunately mean, like you know you, you you take like oh and the great music. Um, Sorry. You take like Bram Stoker's Dracula. You take like Franklin Jell's Dracula, like his adaptation of it. You know, it falls in that in that group of. Frozen, 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 frozen. You're frozen, 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 frozen. If you frozen, and frozen, following frozen, as, as the years go on, I think it did better. There you are. Huh? You were frozen for a bit there, but you came back. Oh, no, I said was. It seems like Franklin Jones' Dracula, right? Which didn't survive in the box office compared to other films that came out. And over a time, it does better out of, out of the box office. You know, it, it does better. It creates a following. So, if you compare it to like the love of it now, it does hell of a lot better than when. It- I can hear you, but your feed is coming through garbled. Like it's very, I, it's it's coming through clear, but it sounds very pixelated. Not clear. Like it's like, like. Yeah, it's it's yeah. 
So it didn't do so well at the box office, right? Right. But like some of those films, like they do better on DVD and cult followings yes. throughout the course of time than they ever did at the box office. So who knows like, how, how much cult following like Frank Langella's Dracula really accumulated over time, like DVD sales. No. Sure, it's true. I mean, that's what uh, Kevin Smith says that uh, most of his movies, that's where they make money, is in home video and whatnot. Exactly. So basically, we, we talked about uh, different movies. We got on a tangent. We got uh, we got a lot accomplished, tonight, I think, with uh, iTunes and all that. And I hope to I hope that whatever episode that Tyson produces from all of this content that we recorded happens to be our very first episode on iTunes and of course you can catch our back episodes on uh, Tyson SoundCloud page that about does it for this episode of the Anti-Social Show I'm Hunter Block and I'm Tyson Saner be decent to each other absolutely have a good time folks 